Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in these next few minutes that we will learn from you. Pray that our burdens will be lightened and um, carried and that we'll have new eyes to view those burdens as a result of the time that we've spent in the Word. Lord, I pray that this will be a feast for spiritual people. Lord, I pray that those who aren't engaging this spiritually today, that uh, you will arrest them, the Holy Spirit will invade and um, transform and create an appetite for things that are eternal and things that will matter in eternity. Lord, I just pray that you'll be glorified in these next few minutes that we spend together and that the truth will be enjoyed. Lord, I also want to pray for a... um, a brother that's pastoring a church here or near nearby, Steve Lawson and his family. Lord, I want to pray for Steve as he's dealing with the loss of his mother. Pray for his family, Lord, that they are um, resting in you and striving to enter your rest. They are trusting you. Lord, I pray that Grace is um, enjoying the word week by week as Steve is dining on it, that he is undone and he is rebuilt and refilled and that when he stands and delivers on Sunday mornings, that you will guard his heart from wanting to entertain or wanting to, um, to rob you of your glory, but that he will just expose the word and that the people will feast on it and grow into the people that you'd have them be. Lord, I pray for grace. The same thing I pray for us as well as the other Christian churches in this community, that we will truly be a salty, bright, aromatic people that are on the same team. I pray that you will just guard our hearts, Lord, from our especially human, especially selfish thoughts that secretly celebrate when another church is struggling and that we will grieve with those who are hurting and that we will celebrate with those churches that are growing and that we'll pray for greater things yet, that the people of God in this community can be a salty, bright, aromatic people for your glory and for your namesake. Lord, we pray this every week, and we don't ever want this to be routine or mundane. We, with everything in us, we lift that up this morning, this prayer for this especially saturated community of Christian churches to be especially bright and salty and aromatic because of the Christians that live in this community. Lord, I pray if we share cubicles, our neighborhood blocks, our workspaces with people that are in other Christian churches that we are cheering for them, that we are praying for them, we are encouraging them, we are praying for their leadership and their churches, that we're praying for their shepherds, maybe even more that we're praying for our own. Lord, we want great things for your glory in this community. Lord, also this morning we want to pray for Micah Kano. Just pray for his remaining days in Kenya. Lord, pray that he'll be used for your glory. I pray that he'll be out of the way. I pray that you'll guard this from ever being about him, but it'll be about enjoying you in another land and that others will smell an aroma that is life to them, that others will hear the shepherd's voice through his teaching 
and his encouragement. Also pray for Brad Cardwell as he's in Tokyo. I pray for the team that he's working with, the young people that are bringing the word, enjoying, really enjoying you out loud in Tokyo. Lord, I pray that you will uh, discard Brad and use him for your glory as he's leading those folks. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you so much that the time that we gather here matters, that it's a time of spiritual dining for life, and uh, we turn it over to you for your name's sake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> turn to John 14, if you would. As you're turning there, I'm going to share a passage with you from a different book. John 14 has kind of been this, this trinity section. Like the whole chapter has just been lots of trinity engagement. Having been to uh, Muslim countries and realizing how um, difficult the Trinity is and realizing that it's what makes us Christian. <laughs> I mean, it is what marks us as Christian, this belief and, and trust in a triune God. And that so little of us or so few of us understand so little <laughs> about the Trinity that we want to take every opportunity to enjoy the Trinity. John 14 is doing that. Um, this morning, we're going to be engaging the Holy Spirit as a, a person of the Trinity. And I thought I would just share a passage before we go there uh, from Mark chapter 1. You don't need to turn there. Just listen. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Okay, there's Jesus. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. There's the Holy Spirit. And a voice from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And there's the Father. If you have somebody, maybe a, a schoolmate or somebody that you're acquainted with that says, man, just show me some evidence for the Trinity. How about right there? How about right there, taking them there and saying, hey, he's all here. There, he, they're all here. You see all three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This morning, we're going to be engaging the Holy Spirit and enjoying what He does and what He is. And uh, we're going to begin in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 16. Let me just give you a little bit of context. Jesus has just um, dismissed through revealing some truth about Judas. Judas has left the table, so to speak. There's 11 disciples left in the remaining hours before Jesus goes to the cross. And Jesus is encouraging troubled hearts with a message of hope and truth and identity. And in verse 16, he says these words. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is promising these guys with troubled hearts who've now had one of their own leave the table, who are now reckoning with what Jesus has told them. I'm going someplace you can't go. You can't go there right now. You'll follow me later, but you can't go to this place because you're unqualified. And they're dealing with the reality. They left everything to follow this Jesus. And he's encouraging their troubled hearts with, hey, although I'm leaving you, I'm going to send you somebody in my place. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I promise you, I'm going to pray to the Father, and the Father will send you this Holy Spirit, another paraclete, like we considered last week, 
another paraclete like Christ. And just as Jesus promised, just as Jesus prayed, just as the Father gives, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit shows up. We read the account last week of Pentecost. This is seven weeks after Passover. Seven weeks after the chicken of Passover, Peter, he's the bulldog, Holy Spirit-filled preacher of Pentecost, seven weeks later, because the Holy Spirit shows up. A few things happen. There's a sound like a mighty rushing wind that fills the house. This was a significant event in the life, in the redemptive story, in the life of this, this redemptive story for the church. In fact, it was the birthday of the church. And a sound like a mighty rushing wind filled the house. Divided tongues of fire appeared and rested on each, an important word, each of them. If you go back and you read the accounts of Sinai, where the law was given to the nation of Israel, or you go back and read when the tabernacle was set up, or when you go back and read when Solomon basically christened the temple, in each of those accounts, there's fire, there's Shekinah glory where the Holy Spirit fills that place. This was another of those events, like the tabernacle, like the temple with the glory cloud and fire where God is showing up saying, here's where I'm going to dwell in this tent. Now at Pentecost, he's saying, here's where I'm going to dwell in this tent. So the fire is on each of them. The Holy Spirit is moving into the heart of man. He's moving out of a tent made of canvas and moving into a tent made of flesh. Something else that's pretty remarkable about this Pentecost event is they spoke in languages that they didn't know. Peter is preaching in one language, and it's heard and understood by people from all over the Roman Empire, people that didn't even speak that language. It's sort of like an undoing of Babylon or Babel. You know, the Babel event where they wanted to make a name, their own name great, and he dispersed them and confused their language? Well, here somebody else's name is being made great, and that's the name of God. And they're being gathered back up, and that confusing language is being reoriented and redirected to where it's being understood. Babel was undone in the work of, or in the event of Pentecost. And as they preached, 3,000 repented and believed and were baptized. This was an amazing time in the life of the church. Really, it was the church's birthday. God the Son prayed that God the Father would send God the Spirit who had been dwelling with them, to take up residence in them. And he got what he prayed for. And to this day, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in each of us if we're believing on Christ in repentance and faith. This is just so personal for all of us. So what does this Holy Spirit do as he dwells in us? Last week, we considered that the Holy Spirit, first of all, he helps us tells us right there, he says, I'm going to send another paraclete, another helper like myself, as it's handled in the original language. I'm going to send a helper that's like myself, and as I have done, teaching and ministering and helping so the Holy Spirit will do. That's the connection we made last week. The Holy Spirit we considered last week will teach us all things, and he will bring to remembrance what Christ has done, and he will bear witness about Christ. Those are the sort of things that Jesus did. He taught and he explained the Father. The Spirit teaches and explains the Son. 
He's a helper like Christ. And this so helps us when we're trying to discern, is this from the Holy Spirit? Does this even look like something that Christ would be part of? Or would Christ show up and say, get off the floor, goofball? Would Christ be boxing somebody around their ears for acting like a complete fool? Do we have a new discernment when we can look at something and say, well, this makes sense. This looks like the Holy Spirit because it looks like something Christ would be part of. Because he's another helper like Christ. If he is, we too considered last week, if he is a helper and this is how he helps, then we can define help from understanding what this helper does. We defined help last week as help is only help in so much as it involves the Holy Spirit. That'll be connected to today. Today we're going to consider that he is the spirit of truth. He says it right here in this passage. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This phrase or this title, Spirit of Truth, means the Spirit who communicates truth. If you think about it, it really makes sense. Christ has just identified himself as the way, the truth, and the life. Romans chapter 9 tells us that the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of the Lord. This Spirit is going to be like the Lord that he explains. And if the Son is the truth, then the Holy Spirit, it makes complete sense that He is the Spirit of truth. 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 even says, it even goes so far as to say that the Spirit is the truth. The Spirit that's so easily misunderstood, the Spirit that's so elusive for us, and some of us might even be scared to even engage Him. He is the Spirit of truth. And John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 says, He is the truth. We also know from this passage that the world cannot perceive the spirit of truth. It is unaware of the spirit's work. We need a new set of eyes. We need a new set of ears. We need a new heart to engage the truth that the spirit communicates. When Nicodemus came to Christ by night and he said, Hey, Jesus, how are you doing all these great tricks? How did Jesus respond? He said, If you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be reborn from above. We need a new set of eyes, a new heart, a new set of ears to even engage the truth that this Spirit communicates. And in this passage, man, he sets them in contrast. He sets the world in contrast with the disciples with the word you. It's midway through verse 17. That you just seems like a commonplace you for us. In the original language, that is an emphatic use of that. It would be like reading it this way. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you... You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Man, you guys are different. You get an indwelling spirit that will communicate the truth, and you'll get it. A few passages that we considered last week that the Spirit does. John chapter 14, verse 26. I want to look at it again. It's right there on the same page. But the helper, the paraclete, that's like Christ, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will do what? He will teach you all things. That's the first thing. Secondly, he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's the second thing. 
John chapter 15, verse 26 is the third thing we considered. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Three things that the Holy Spirit does. If you want discernment of what the Spirit is about, let's start there. He teaches all things. He brings to remembrance all that Christ has said and done. And he bears witness to Christ. I'm going to tell you right now, a spirit that doesn't make much of Christ is not the spirit of Christ. You go into a context where it's all about the spirit and the spirit this and the spirit that and you spirit this and you might hear something about Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit that is indwelling us is like a big arrow that's pointing to Christ. Say, look, whoop, there he is. And he's awesome. And he bears witness about who he is and what he's done. He brings to remembrance what has been said, and he teaches us all things. A new thing we're going to add this morning, John chapter 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he speaks, excuse me, whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the third thing we can add to the things we know about the Holy Spirit, fourth thing actually, is he guides us into all truth. He teaches all things. He brings to remembrance what Christ has said. He bears witness about Christ. And he guides us into the truth. I'll show you a great picture of this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to address this in two directions. First, the vertical direction, vertical revelation, and then horizontal revelation that's fueled by the vertical. That's kind of an outline of where we're going this morning. In fact, I'll go ahead and give you a map so you can start to note the page numbers, or not the page numbers, if you want to mark them in your Bible where we're going. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 John chapter 4, put your little do- your doily or that ugly bookmark that uh, was made for you by your family member (laughs) Hebrews chapter 3 we're going to as well and that's it for now we're going a couple other places but that's the primary places I want you to know we're going to deal first with vertical revelation the spirit of truth what he gives us in the vertical direction are these vertical ultimate realities that he brings to us 1 Corinthians chapter 2 starting in verse 6 Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 10, and I'm going to come back to verse 6. Let me show you something in verse 10. Verse 10 says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Okay, so now we're going to answer, what are these things? So go back to verse 6 now. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to those through, to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. 
For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. But the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we who have the Holy Spirit have the mind of Christ. I just want to draw out these amazing things as indwelling Holy Spirit does for us, the spirit of truth. First of all, he gives us a different kind of wisdom. And trust me, that wisdom will be folly to the world. The world will not cheer for that sort of wisdom. In fact, they will mock that sort of wisdom. The world will say that's the aroma of death. That's ridiculous and complete foolishness. The spirit of truth, secondly, imparts to us a secret and hidden wisdom. It's not something that you have on your own. It's not something that's innate. It's not something that you can conjure up. It's something that has to be revealed to you because it's hidden and it's secret. And that's what the spirit of truth does in us and for us. Third, the Spirit reveals what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor imagined by the human heart. He reveals specifically what God has prepared for His people. That's good stuff, man. If you really pick those things apart, what the Spirit is doing, then we all ought to enjoy the Holy Spirit and the indwelling minister that He is. The Spirit searches everything. This is the next thing. He searches everything, even the depths of God. Scott and I were talking about this earlier this week. We're thinking about how intimately does our spirit know us. That spirit that looks back at you, that inner man that looks at you in the morning when you're shaving, or ladies, when you're fixing your do. that inner spirit that knows you even better than your spouse knows you. As that spirit, your spirit knows you, The Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. He searches the depths of God. Like our spirit knows us, the spirit knows the mind of God. And we have received that spirit. It's not just something that dwells among us. It's something that actually dwells in us. There's an important passage here in verse 12. I've encouraged you to circle that's. If you have a good translation, then that's are brought out. Sometimes a bad translation leaves those things out. This is what's called a henna clause in the original language. It's a purpose clause. Now, we have received, not the spirit of the world, but we, if you're a believer, you've received the spirit who is from God so that, in order that, we might understand the things freely given to us by God. You can't discern them but by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit teaches us spiritual truths, and He teaches those spiritual truths, look in verse 13 at the end of it, to the spiritual. Now, here's where things are going to get kind of personal. Because I realized up to this point, believe me, I've sat in enough sermons before to know what it's like when it's just like real, just passage after passage, and you're just kind of like, man, please tell a story. I need to kind of re-engage this again. 
Or you might find a passage and you kind of read ahead. You ever do the little read ahead thing? Or you keep going. You know, I'm reading a passage. People come to me after a sermon sometimes and I'm preaching from something. I say, you know, I know what you're talking about, but I kind of kept reading ahead and I wasn't listening to you. I'm like, man, you missed God's message for, you, for this people today. Read ahead on your own time, homie. <laughs> if that's what you've done this morning... And so far, you've done that, or you might be thinking about lunch. This is where things are going to get real personal. Because he says those spiritual matters are to be discerned. The things that the Spirit reveals, these hidden secrets, this hidden wisdom, are to be truths that are enjoyed by the spiritual. The reality is that the spiritual have an appetite for spiritual things, not emotive things are not just emotive things, not just emotional things. We all have an appetite for the emotive and emotional. But the spiritual people, the ones who have this indwelling Holy Spirit, have an appetite for the true things about Christ. Are you about to expose something else about my Jesus? Oh, yeah. That's it. It's on. Forget lunch. Forget reading ahead. I want to dine on something new about my Lord or something old. I want to dine on it newly because the Holy Spirit within me hungers for that boy. That's the spiritual man that says, bring it. Reality is that it's only the spiritual that would marvel at a notion like propitiation. Propitiation, the wrath-absorbing work of Christ and the work of the cross. Where we're crossways with God, but God directs what we're due at his own son. It would only be the spiritual that would say, oh, yeah, that's it. That's good medicine. It would only be the spiritual that would say, perichoresis, the dance of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, inter-involved, interpenetrating, moving like this blur of beautiful involvement, three in one. Only the spiritual would say, no, that's it. I'm enjoying that reality. Only the spiritual would be blown away by a reality like substitutionary atonement. Only the spiritual would consider the possibility, the reality, ultimately, is that we're all on death row, that no one is righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death. And only the spiritual would consider the reality that not only were we liberated from death row, but someone took our place on death row, walked down that empty hallway to that electric chair we were due, and took our voltage, and then rose again. Now, the spiritual are going to go, oh, yeah, that's it. I'm on with that. For the spiritual who have this indwelling spirit will feast on truths like Christ as the Word made flesh. The spiritual will feast on realities like Christ as the exegete that explains the unknowable, unseeable God. The one that makes him seeable. And knowable. The spiritual are going to say, Oh, yeah, that's invading my den. That's invading my dining room. That's invading my Thursday. Because the spiritual are engaging it and enjoying Christ as the door, Christ as the good shepherd, Christ as the bread of life, Christ as the source of living water, Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. Yes! The spiritual are going to enjoy and eat these things. The hard part for me as an elder is seeing. When folks 
who ought to be spiritual aren't spiritual. My brother was riding in a pickup truck with his son, J.D. J.D.'s a teenager now. He's a little boy. My brother's riding in the car with him and truck with him, and they're talking. They're going on a long trip together. And uh, something came up over the course of their time together where my brother started sharing with my nephew, J.D., this really deep, important truth. It was kind of a daddy-son moment, you know. And his son, J.D., is just quiet, listening, seems to be. He's sharing this deep truth, you know. It goes on and on and on and on. And then after he's finished, you know, he's thinking, man, this was an ordained moment right here. His son, J.D., my little nephew, says, Daddy? He says, yes, son. He said, Daddy, did you know that my Buzz Lightyear glows in the dark? The little dude immortalized himself from that moment on. I've been telling that story for years because it's such a great picture of what I fear happens to us so often. Man, what happened to Sunday? What happened to what was engaged in these last few months? Ah, Ben, Brother Ben, Pastor Ben, or just Ben, did you know my buzz light? You're closing the dark. I'm saying, man, let me see if I can re-engage you with something that matters. Let me see if I can encounter with you yet again something that the spiritual should dine on, something that should matter to the spiritual because the spiritual are feasting on spiritual realities. Now, the reality is behind that is that oftentimes you're most hungry when you're most in pain. So I recognize that pain is a great fertilizer for engagement with the Holy Spirit. But how many times does it take to be hurt, to be suffering, before you go, dude, I can't live without this Holy Spirit and these spiritual realities about my Christ, whether things are good or bad, whether feast or famine. How many times does it take? Some of y'all need to let the pain, that tutor of the pain of pain, be the tutor that it is, and go ahead and let it lead you to Christ and just stay there and just enjoy these spiritual realities about Christ. The Spirit gives us what no man can produce on our own. He gives us the mind of Christ. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. Still talking about the vertical element. Just touch on this briefly from 1 John chapter 4. <clears throat> you need to know when it comes to the Spirit and when it comes to messengers of the Spirit's message that there are lots of imposters. I'm providing this so you can test me. So you can test your Bible study teacher. Family, so you can test your shepherd. How about that? Say, Daddy, husband, are you truly bringing help to us? Are you bringing truth to us? This is a great test. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, but this you, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ confesses, present tense, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world today or already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. 
We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever's not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Knowing that there are many false spirits, many false prophets, the only way for us to trust what we're seeing and hearing is the degree in which it does what the Spirit does. It says it right here. The Spirit, if it's from God, confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. The Holy Spirit, He teaches all things. He brings to remembrance things that Christ has said and done. He bears witness to Christ and He guides us in the truth. If a spiritual message is from a true spiritual, spirit-fed mouthpiece, then there will be a central message. And that central message will be, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. And everything else will be connected to that. It won't be a bunch of funny emails. It won't be a bunch of stuff making much of you. It will be illuminating and exposing this reality of what took place in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And how everything else, Tuesday, dining room, den, spiritual realities are all connected to that. Test me in that. Is that what you hear from this pulpit week by week? Is that what you hear from your teachers week by week? Families, is that what you hear from your shepherds week by week? See, the reality is, this says that every spirit that's from God confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. Confesses, I love that present tense, because if it was confessed, that would be where most of us are. Well, we're all, well, that's assumed. <laughs> we already got that. It's treating the realities about Christ, crucified and risen, like they're your foundation in your home. My foundation in my home is damp and dirty and forgotten. I walk all over it all day long, unless there's a crack in it, I don't even think about it. I don't think God wants to be assumed. I don't think our Jesus, considering what has been done, wants to be the damp, dirty, dark, forgotten part of your life. If that message is from Christ, it will be confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. It will not be assumed or acknowledged simply. It will be heralded, weak by week, by Tuesday, by Saturday, by Sunday morning, if that spirit is from God. It will be heralded, heralded hopefully by a spiritual man and listened to by spiritual people. That's the true messenger's message. My question for you, just to consider in mid-message, is are you listening? Most of my life, what has taken place in this environment has kind of been kind of this peripheral reality for me before being the preacher. <laughs> I'm just confessing. Most of my life has been this weekly message or this weekly lesson from a Bible study teacher. And it's sort of been interesting and maybe informative. But it's only within the last few years that I've realized that I'm not a fact collector. I'm a truth enjoyer. And that's called worship. Collecting facts is called academia. Go get a, a degree. But a worshiper is enjoying reality, true reality, ultimately reality about our Lord. So my question for you is, are you listening? Week by week, are you hearing and engaging what God is exposing, hopefully through a spiritual man and as a spiritual listener? Engaging these realities about Christ, these hidden secrets. 
these hidden realities of Christ. If you go for weeks at a time without hearing a message of spiritual realities, does that alarm you? It does me. Or if you go for weeks at a time where you're here maybe in body, but you're saying, man, my buzz light, you're so close in the dark. Does that bother you? It does me. As someone who's supposed to have stewardship and, and some role to play in your life over your souls. It's the burden of eldering. The spiritual have an appetite for Holy Spirit truth. That's the vertical. Let's look at the horizontal. The horizontal is horizontal revelation fueled by the vertical. In his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, Paul Tripp observes, my self-perception, turn to Hebrews 3 while I'm reading this quote. I'll turn there too. Paul Tripp observes, my self-perception is as accurate as a carnival mirror. Y'all ever stood in one of the front of the, one of those mirrors? Man, that's crazy. If I'm going to see myself clearly, Tripp writes, I need you. I need you specifically to hold the mirror of God's word in front of me. Since each of us is still has sin remaining in us, we will have pockets of spiritual blindness. But the Bible says that we can be spiritually blind and yet think we can see quite well. Sounds like the Pharisees. Sounds like guys we've gotten to know quite well in the book of John. The reality is we can think we know the truth about God and ourselves and be absolutely wrong. We need vertical truth about God as illuminated and given us by the Holy Spirit, insight into His very mind, and we need the truth about ourselves as revealed by the Holy Spirit in community. Hebrews chapter 3, I'm going to read two chapters and hopefully going to draw out, hopefully I can do this, share this with the youth families on Wednesday night or whatever night it was, Tuesday night. Hopefully I can draw out where we're going. I want you to just engage this. Just do everything you can. Just tune out all the distractions. Just eat this with me. Hebrews chapter 3, this is a letter written to believers, Jewish believers. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. That's where I want to begin. Consider Jesus. This writer of this letter goes on to put a con- or kind of portray a contrast between Moses and Jesus. That Jesus replaces that Moses. That he's a better Moses. <laughs> He, that, that's his contrast. He wants them to consider that. I want you to consider Jesus as propitiation, as substitutionary atonement. Consider Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Consider Jesus as the gate, as the good shepherd, as the source of living water, as the bread of life. Just look back over the sermons that we've gone through in the last years together. Cons- let's consider Jesus together. And then pick up in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. This will be a theme. 
on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You got to see a connection there between knowing his ways and entering his rest. Consider the passage that I read this morning. All ye who are heavy laden and weary, come let me teach you that you can learn about me and find rest. It's talking about the Israel that did not find the promised land. The next generation did, but they didn't find it. They've not known his ways, and they did not enter his rest. Verse 12, take care, brothers. He's speaking to believers right there. Take care, brothers. Let's just climb into it ourselves. Take care, brothers, other families of Crosspoint, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Well, here's what we should do instead. Here's how we should take care instead of falling away with unbelieving hard hearts. Here's how we take care. Exhort one another every day. That word exhort is the word urge one another every day. As long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. He's engaging these Hebrew readers with the reality that while the The Jewish people heard this message week by week. They did not engage it, and they did not enter his rest. And he's urging these Hebrew believers to engage. In his case, the example he's using is the picture between Moses and Christ. In my case, the example I'm using is Christ as bread of life, Christ as source of living water, Christ as propitiation, Christ as a perichoretic God. Just think of all the things we've engaged as a people. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Do you know that you can do that? You can hear this week by week and yet rebel. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom he, provo- he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. He's equating unbelief with being hard-hearted and not engaging the realities about God. In chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, it still stands for you who are hearing this today. He's going to urge today yet again. While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us, as family, fellow families across point, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For the preached good news, that's what the original language is. The preached good news came to us just as, as, as it did to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were thinking about their buzz light years. that's exactly what's going on there. They're thinking, man, we had so much cool stuff in Egypt. Yeah, we had to work and we got beat all the time, but man, at least we had some food. I'm tired of this manna. You know my buzz light year glows in the dark. They were not united by faith with with those who listened. 
The message that was preached was not eaten. It was, oh, yeah, that's nifty. I collect another truth. If they even did that. It was not united to by faith. For we who have believed entered that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. He's, tr- he's moving from this picture of the promised land as the picture of salvation to now Sabbath as the picture of salvation. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, then again he appoints a certain day. How often? Today. Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts by just thinking about your buzz light year. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. We have a Sabbath, and his name is Jesus. And it's not limited to Saturday for us, or even the Lord's Day, Sunday. It's every day we get to rest in Christ. There remains a Sabbath of rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And here's the key. Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest. So that no one may fall, not your son, not your daughter, not your spouse, not your friend. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience, hard-hearted indifference. He says, strive to enter that rest. And here's the connection. It's in the next verse. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You want to know how you strive to enter his rest? You strive by engaging his word week by week by week. You want to know how you strive to enter his rest with each other? By reminding each other of that Holy Spirit message that was delivered week by week by week, by exhorting one another, by urging one another. How often? While it's today, while it's Tuesday in my living room, while it's Thursday in your cubicle, while it's Friday and you're sitting in front of your computer with a few minutes downtime and you can send an email to a friend that's walking it with you in the faith? How often? Today, we exhort one another and urge one another. In his case, with Moses and Jesus being paralleled. In our case, with Jesus as propitiation, as substitutionary atonement. With Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. With Jesus as the bread of life. With Jesus as the source of living water. With Jesus as the Word incarnate. With Jesus as Father exegete. <laughs> we just go on and on and on and on and on. We've been about this for six years. We have a whole library to exhort each other with. But we can be hard-hearted like the Israelites and say, oh, my buzz light, your glows in the dark. What are we to exhort one another with? Husbands with wives. Wives with husbands. Husbands and wives with families. This should be on our lips. This should be our very food, exhorting and urging one another with a Holy Spirit message as we strive to enter his rest, not like a bunch of hard-hearted people that don't find the promised land, but like a bunch of soft-hearted people who are tuned in, who are spiritual, engaging these realities week by week 
by week by week. Imagine two dudes at dinner. Just pick any two dudes in here are having lunch together on Thursday. Two dudes are having lunch together. One asks the other, hey, man, how's it going? That's the way it'll start. Hey, so what's up? Like, been playing any golf? You been getting in the mud with your truck, Jeff? <laughs> been shooting any pigs? <laughs> Two dudes being dudes. But if they're spiritual dudes, the conversation will likely go this direction. Hey, man, what's God been showing you in the Word? Oh, yeah. Man, let me tell you about what God has been showing me in the Word. One asks the other, what's God been showing you in the Word? And then, how has His message for Crosspoint invaded your Tuesday? Likely right now, you get something kind of like, oh, well, um, you should have seen that pig. Oh, man, it's a long shot. I'm not talking as a rule, because there's some guys that are dining on these spiritual realities. But some of them, they're talking about Buzz Lightyear. Some of us are talking about Buzz Lightyear all day, all week long. Buzz Lightyear glowing in the dark. Two spiritual men are engaging each other, saying, hey, man, how has God's message for Crosspoint invaded your life and the life of your family? How has propitiation given you a new hope when things are so hard and dark right now? How has perichoresis blessed your marriage, given that father is in son and son is in father, and they're so intertwined and interdeveloped and interinvolved and interpenetrating, and the fact that Jesus prayed for us in John chapter 17, that we would be one as he and the father are one. How has that impacted your marriage? Are you giving your wife a place to dwell, my brother? Are you giving God time to dwell in you? Are you taking time to dwell in him? Has that invaded Tuesday? Dining room? Den? That's what spiritual people do. We may laugh and talk about a pickup truck or a pig or golf, round of golf, but we challenge each other with spiritual matters because they matter. That's what spiritual people do. And how often do we do it? When it's today. So we don't get hard-hearted and fall away. We hold up the mirror of the Word and we ask meaningful, penetrating questions fueled by love for God and love for each other. That's what spiritual people do. Now, vertical and horizontal sort of revelation, they're connected. <laughs> they're involved. Last week, if we could define help, as what's given by the helper. Remember the question I asked last week? If the Holy Spirit is the helper like Christ, if He is our helper that we have right now, is there any real help anywhere else? We asked a similar question with truth. If the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, if He is truth, can we get truth anywhere else? Remember the continuum we talked about last week on one end of the help continuum is, a, is, is a, an aspirin when you have a headache. That's a help. A Tweety Bird singing on a day where you just kind of needed to hear a bird song. A green light when you're late for work. That's a help. Thank you. In the middle is a paycheck. That's a help, right? Nobody's going to say it's not. Maybe if you're dealing with depression, finding a medication that works for you, 
That's a help. That's maybe right or your left of center. And then down here on this far end, it's an amazing help to consider that we have an advocate in the high court of heaven who is mediating for you and me, who is saying to the Father, we have a paraclete, a very real paraclete in the high court of heaven, saying he's innocent, not because of anything he's done, but because of my blood. That's good help. And that's an eternal help. The same is true. We have a similar continuum of truth. On the far end of the truth continuum, Scott and Lindsay Sutton helped me develop this far end. Considering some of the truths that we might consider each day, this was mine. One end of that truth continuum is Starbucks Arabian Mocha Sanini is an, an amazingly good coffee. And Pike's Place isn't really at all. Those are two truths down here on this end. It's true that you're not supposed to wear white after Labor Day and before Easter. That's true to some extent. This is from Scott. Crossroads Mall isn't a real mall. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Not really a life-altering, except that you may have to drive 30 minutes to go somewhere to buy something. Those are truths down at one end of the continuum. Those are, Dad, did you know my Buzz Lightyear glows in the dark? While it's true, it's not really an eternal impacting truth. Midway on that continuum might be, it's true that you need to make money to provide for your family. It's true that if you don't eat well and exercise, you'll daily become more and more unfit and unhealthy. Those are truths. And then down on the far end, on the eternal end, the ultimate truth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God and is alive and well and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now that's truth. That's life-altering, life-giving truth. On this end down here is the ultimate truth that God has given us an indwelling helper who's true and is guiding us into the truth. On this eternal end is the truth that Buzz Lightyear and Crossroads Mall and your paycheck and your body mass index will matter little in eternity. And your knowledge of and fellowship with and worship of this seated Christ will matter intensely. That's true. All truth is not the same. life-altering and life-giving truth about our Lord is eternal truth given us by the Holy Spirit. The spiritual will congregate in those truths and abide in those truths and dwell in these realities while everybody else is saying, man, that's folly. <laughs> what a bunch of foolishness. So if the Holy Spirit is truth, the question is, again, can we get real truth anywhere else? And I'm going to redefine truth. We defined help last week. Help is help only in so much as it involves the Holy Spirit. Fathers, families, people, you want to be a help to someone or to your family, you can't do that apart from engaging the Holy Spirit. You can spend every single day in the backyard throwing and catching with your kid. He could grow up and have a great arm and have a hard heart because you never engage him spiritually. You want to be a help to your family? You do what the Holy Spirit does. You teach all things. 
You bring to remembrance all that Christ has done. You bear witness to Christ, and you guide your family into the truth. That's a good help. So we can define truth this way. Truth is truth only in so much as it's provided by, communicated by, and guarded by the Holy Spirit. I want to end with two passages. If you want to turn there, you can. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. This is so good. Mm-mm. 1 Peter 1.12, when I say I'm ending, I know that a lot of times, right, oh man, it's almost over, let me gather my stuff. I'm saying I'm ending so you can really concentrate and see how immediate these ultimate realities are to us. See how available they are to us, us having the Holy Spirit indwelling and among us. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. A prophets, just insert Isaiah in there. Okay, let's just, just grab one. I, Isaiah. Okay, he's searching and inquiring carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Isaiah would be an appropriate prophet to grab, given the airtime that he's given on the suffering servant and the character of this Christ in store. Then in verse 12, it was revealed to them. Here you go, Isaiah. Let me show you something. I'm going to reveal this to you, that you're serving not yourself, but you're serving us. In our case, 2,500 years later after Isaiah, 2,000 years later after Christ, 3,000 years later after David, 3,500 years after Moses, that all these things are serving not them, but they're serving us. It was revealed to these prophets, Isaiah included, that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who did what? They preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The thing I want you to understand, this is not self-serving. This is exposing the truth that's in front of us. You've got to know that I have a preacher too. I have a message week by week. And I'm eating the same message that you get week by week. And I'm doing everything I can to import it into Tuesday and dining room and den. Because here's the reality. The hour that we spend in corporate worship hearing the preaching of the word may be the truest hour we have all week. It may be the closest I get to this far end down here all week long. This blew my mind when I considered this. Angels long to look into what we look into every week. That's crazy. Angels are sitting around saying, man, I wish I had a preacher. (laughs) I wish I had a Bible. I wish I had gifts given to the church. The pastor, teacher, apostle, prophet, evangelist? Oh, yeah. Then we could dine on these truths like humans can. Every week. That's a scandal, man, when you think about it. A weekly Holy Spirit-derived ultimate reality that gives us new lenses on the world. It gives us a new mouth to speak. 
gives us new hands to touch and minister, gives us new feet to walk in. Every week, man, angels are saying, golly, I'm so jealous. Those people got it so good. And one last passage, 1 Corinthians 2, 4, quickly. 2, 1 through 4. This is written by Paul. I started to read this when we were here earlier, but I thought, no, I'm going to save this for the end. It's so good. It's such an encouragement to feeble me. 1 Corinthians 2, 1. And I, Paul says, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Does that sound like the essentials we talked about earlier that the Holy Spirit is about? He said, I decided to just be a Holy Spirit preacher and just do what the Holy Spirit does, teaching all things, bringing to remembrance all all things Christ has said and done, bearing witness to Christ and guiding you into the truth. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but they were in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That's crazy. Power from a feeble preacher. You kidding me? Lives that are altered and changed through the message of a feeble, trembling, weak, fearful preacher. That your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. My question for you, is whether it's this feeble preacher or Steve Roberts' feebleness, Brad Cardwell's feebleness, Scott Sutton's feebleness, whatever preacher is standing up here exposing this word, through their feebleness, does a mighty reality invade your life weekly? Does it break in? Or are we potentially in a place where my buzz light here glows in the dark? That's cool and all. Is this treated like it's your very food? As though it's the power of God. It will for the spiritual. It will. That's an encouragement. Ben, Steve, Scott, Brad, whatever, whoever's standing and delivering. What an encouragement. It ain't about you, homie. Just expose it. The spiritual will eat it. Let me pray. Lord, we just want to engage the truth. We want to do, we want to walk in what the Spirit does. Teaching all things, bearing witness to who Christ is, bringing to remembrance all that Christ has said and done and guiding into all truth. Lord, that's what we want to do. If people want to ask what our vision is as a church, that's it. If people want to ask a shepherd what he's about in his family, I pray that that will be it. That this indwelling spirit will be about that work in families, in this church family, in all the Christians in this community. That we won't be building towers to making our own name great, but that we'll be letting that Holy Spirit invade us and use us and show us all things that are true and guide us into truth. 
Lord, I beg for this for me as a preacher and as a shepherd. And I beg for this for every family in this church. I beg for this in the other preachers in this body. For a Holy Spirit-fueled message week by week by week so that the angels can sit around and be jealous. Lord, I'm amazed that you've given us what you've given us. Pray that we will have a big high view of it, feeble, stumbling, fearful, trembling, but powerful. I pray that you'll guard us from being a hard-hearted people that just leave it parallel, but that it will intersect and invade through daily and weekly exhortation and urging, striving together to enter your rest through these ultimate realities about Christ. Lord, thank you so much for the paraclete. Thank you so much that we can grab hold of ultimate truth as we grab hold of him. Christ's precious and holy and powerful and good name. Amen. Let's worship in song.